Father's Day. Let's worship together. Sing our words. I was going down, thought it was for the count. Then I found your love. I had wandered off, thought I had gone too far. Then I found your love. Fear I used to know can't stop me anymore. Cause I found your love. When I feel alone, I have a place to go. somebody. You guys doing good this morning? You know, I am so thankful for the ability to be live with you here in the church building with you in your home on this Father's Day morning. And as I was praying over our time together in worship this morning, the word that kept resonating was the word trust. And this week, I had opportunities on vacation to just have conversations about all the things that are happening 
right now, politically, with racial reconciliation, all these things. And oftentimes in those conversations, it would all come back to, well, what is the answer? What is the answer? Because you can go in circles around and around. But can I just, I gotta be honest with you. I would get to the end of those conversations and I would be so discouraged because I felt like there is no, there's no answer for what we're going through. But then God reminded me that the answer is him. God is the answer for what we're going through. Prayer is the answer for what we're walking through. And I want to read to you out of Romans 15, 13, where it says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I pray for us this morning? Lord Jesus, we are desperately in need of your power. And God, I pray this scripture, God, over every person that's watching this morning, Lord. God, that you would be the source of their hope. God, that you would fill each person with joy and peace. God, as we place our trust in you, God, we worship your holy name this morning. God, it is because of your power, God, that we have confident hope to stand on your promises. And our hope will always be your promises to us, Jesus. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. Let's continue to worship with that same fervency, with that same declaration that our God is where we find our hope and our trust in. Amen.
trust in you. We put our trust in you, God.
Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinity, infinitely more than we might ask or think. God, you are so worthy of all honor and all praise. God, remind us this morning of just how big and awesome and powerful and mighty and majestic you are. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. We worship your holy name. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, let's take a minute and let's look at some announcements that are coming up before we turn to the word. Good morning, Grace. Thank you for joining us for such a special time of worship. Hey, we're going to continue in our worship this morning through our giving. Will you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you that you are a good God, a good God that knows what we need before we even ask. And this morning we give unto you, not with asking of something, God, but we give unto you in celebrating who you are. God, we give to you saying we trust you with everything that we have. Lord, we ask that you receive this tithe and offering and you use it to impact the kingdom. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Hey, we have some exciting news to tell you about today. Well, as you've already heard, we have moved into phase two, which means that we get to open up our church for some in-person gatherings. Woohoo! So we're really excited about that. We're gonna start that next week on June 28th. And we have a couple of things that we wanna prepare you for. So we have three things. First off, we wanna make sure that if you're sick, whether it's COVID symptoms or anything else, that you go ahead and stay home. You can continue to join us online. We're committed to keeping our services streaming every week at 10 o'clock a.m. Yeah, streaming is here to stay at Grace Church, so we're pretty excited about that. Also, we want to ask you to bring a face mask. We need to be in compliance with the CDC and our county health guidelines, and so we're going to do that. We actually have some extra ones here in case you don't have one. We'll make sure that you are prepared when you show we up. We can make you special ones just like this. There's a lot of cool customized ones that I've been seeing lately. We also want you to know that we will be keeping with the social distancing guidelines. So that means we're going to ask that during this next season, whatever, however long it looks, we won't be shaking hands, we won't be hugging, we know it's going to be really hard, but we want to make sure that we are keeping everyone safe and healthy. So we ask that you will join us in keeping these guidelines. Yeah. And the last thing is this, is that we want everybody uh, to register on the app. Uh, if you want to attend the first service, it's next week at 10 a.m. and you want to go on there on Wednesday and we'll give you more details and, and an email that we're going to send out this week. I will go into all the stuff that, to look forward to in the next couple of weeks. It's exciting times, my friends. Hey, as you know, it's Father's Day. Will you join me as we watch this video in honoring our dads? Dad, you taught me that the most important thing a father can leave to his kids is not what he leaves for them, but what he leaves in them. You operated heavy machinery by day and a tiny toothbrush by night. You lifted me up even higher than you could lift yourself. You told me stories of warriors and dragons. Not to convince me that dragons were real, but to show me that evil can be overcome. You mastered the art of carrying a sleeping child, fixing little toys, and making the perfect sandwich. You showed me that you don't have to have superpowers to be a superhero. You knew that there is no quality time without quantity time. You cleaned up my messes, impersonated my favorite animals, and wiped away my tears. You understood that your greatest gift to our family was not your productivity, but your presence. You were focused, but interruptible, brave, but compassionate, strong but gentle because there is nothing so strong as gentleness and nothing so gentle as real strength thanks dad
Happy Father's Day. I want to give a special shout out to all you extraordinary men of God who have been father figures and, uh, and, and, and mentors to many people who may not have grown up with a father around or maybe taking somebody under your wing. I want to honor you as well. Thank you so much because you share the heart of God when you care and cover for those that are fatherless. Now, I also want to have a special prayer for maybe some of you who are suffering right now from the loss of your father, whether it's this year or many years before. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will comfort your heart. So let's continue in that spirit of worship as we go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts for today's word, but also to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day, God, that we get to celebrate the many men, God, who have stepped up and who have shared the Father's heart, Lord, and have done it well. We pray a blessing over their lives. Pray a blessing over those right now that may be mourning this morning, or maybe these memories are bringing up some things in them, Lord, that they need care for and they need comfort with. So I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being there for us in times like this. We love you. We pray that everything we do today will honor and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, being a father of three kids, um, I could say that it continues to be the most rewarding role that I play, but also the most challenging one. You know, I, I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love, I love being my kids' dad. But I could also say that it has been an emotional roller coaster from time to time. I mean, there's some days where I may do something for my kids, and I could feel like dad of the year. And then a few minutes later, I could say something out of my mouth. I could overreact. I could say something I could stumble on, and I could feel like all that feeling could be taken away from me. Oftentimes, that's kind of how it goes for me. You know, sometimes I regret some things, I overreact, but then I always have to have grace and know that the Father's heart is one that comes and acknowledges to say, hey, I love you always and forever. You know, that's important. But I would say that um, for me, you know, I grew up differently. I I didn't grow up with having that model father around. So it's been hard. I, I thought that when I had my kids, Um, I wish that the hospital would have sent me home with this manual, this kid's manual uh, that I can go home with that would help me navigate through fatherhood. You know, can you imagine the volumes and the revisions of what that manual would look like? You know, we probably just need a whole truck to take that on, you know, because every kid is different. Every personality, every stage and and age is different, and it comes with its own set of, of, of extra grace and new set of rules and responses of how to raise your children. For instance, this year, my, my son, my oldest, he, he just graduated high school, and in a few months, we're going to be sending him off to college, and, and uh, not just any college, but down in Southern California, so Lord help us. Um, but it's really hitting us as, as the Lara household, you know, that, that our dynamics in home are going to change, that parenting from a distance is going to be something new for Misty and I. In fact, lately, Misty and I have been having lots of conversations and sharing memories about, about our son, knowing that he's in this big transition uh, from out of being our care and fully being in God's care. And I was just thinking about that a lot, and I had these moments where I would question everything that I've been leading him into, and as he's becoming a man himself, I'm like, did I do a good job? Did, did I set him up well? You know, does, does he really carry the Lara values with him as he goes off on his own? You know, this is something that many parents think about, you know, and this concept of, of the Laras, it's, it's more than just the last name for Misty and I, because with it, it carries a set of values. It, 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 it's, it's values that we intentionally try to instill in our kids as we were raising them up, values that identify us as a family. We call it the Lara way. And when we say that to our kids, we don't want it just to be a phrase, but we want it to trigger some thoughts. We want it to trigger some emotion behind it of the values and the things that we say we stand for. We want it to be instilled in the heart of our kids. Now, even though all three of our kids have their own individual personalities, and they're going to live this out the way they're going to live it out, but they're going to be marked by this identity of what it means to be part of the Lara family. You know, someday... Their families will extend through marriage and having kids of their own. And hopefully those core values would be followed. Hopefully that they would adopt those things into their family, these core values that we raised them up with. I mean, isn't that the hope? Isn't that what we aim for as parents? You know, I think that that is a God-given desire that God puts in the heart of every parent. And Misty and I, we want that for our kids. We want them to know what it's like to follow after people above them. 
and over them. You know, I believe that the role of a father is huge in shaping what this family identity is. I often see parts of myself in my kids, and, and there's some things that I'm really proud of, and there's some things that I'm like cringing about, going like, oh, that is just like me, and it's not always the positive side. But becoming a father was something that, like I mentioned, was a little bit scary for me. You know, I didn't know how to really step into that role. I just kind of came into it and tried to feel my way through it. And I can say it was hard because I didn't have that, 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 that person to look up to to see what does a good dad look like. In fact, I can say that um, when I became a father, you know, I was still trying to discover who I was. I was still trying to discover my own identity. And here I am trying to raise a child. It, it was daunting, to say the least. I felt like I was trying to put a puzzle together without looking at the front of the box. I mean, that's how it feels for a man to raise a child and not really have that model to look up to. But I'm so thankful that what's helped me is through Scripture where God would say this. He would declare this in Psalms 68, verse 5. He says this. He says that he would be a father to the fatherless. I think that's going to help somebody today to know that if you didn't have that model, you didn't have that example, that God says that he would take that place, that he would be the father to the fatherless. He would be the defender for the widow. That heaven is looking for those that feel maybe like they're lacking in this area and that God would come and he would cover and that he would fill that spot. I love that about God. He declares this time and time again. You know, maybe growing up for you, you had a great dad. Maybe you had an absent dad. Maybe you had a disconnected dad. But my hope today is that you know that in heaven you have a perfect dad. All of us. A dad who loves us and who calls us into relationship with himself. Now, this statement is more than just a Christian cliche. It's a powerful statement. I think for right now, maybe somebody's just acknowledging that for the very first time that they have someone in heaven who loves them and wants relationship with them. And you haven't felt that from any other person here on earth. And I want to comfort you with the words that God sees you, God cares, and God's reaching out to you right now because he's the heart of the heavenly father, a good good father. Now, I know that there are many men right now that are trying to figure out this whole fatherhood thing, and and you find yourself a bit frustrated right now because maybe you've made a few mistakes along the way. I want to just have you take a deep breath right now. Know that there's extra grace for you. You know, you have a father in heaven that's going to help you walk this out. He's an example for us to follow as men and as, as fathers in our communities and in our families. And now when we look through the Bible, we can see the model. We could see that perfect example. We could see that picture of what a father's heart looks like. See, we see God as a father throughout all of scripture. And it's very intentional. I mean, Jesus taught his followers this. He said that we ought to refer to him in prayer as our father. You know, the first century Jews, when they heard that, it didn't shock them very much because they saw God as the father of the nation. They saw God as this creator, this, this, this originator, this father. But Jesus, when he came, he actually took it a way leap further because he said this. He says, God is not just a father, but he's your Abba father, your Abba father, which in Hebrew means daddy. It means daddy. You know, that title is less about the origin and has so much to say about the relationship. The relationship that God wants with each and every one of us. And that, my friends, is our primary identity. It comes out of relationship. It comes out of who God says he is and who we are to him. That in him, as our father, makes us, his, us as his children. And that has to be the core identity of who we are. Now, I know that like in today's age, Identity is a big conversation. It's, pro, it's such in the minds and the hearts of our culture. We often see people wrestle through this question of, who am I? How do other people see me? What is my persona that I give off? I mean, those are questions that we all wrestle with, all questions that we should have in our minds and think about. Who are we? Who, who do people think we are? Is it true to who I really am? Because see, identity, and I would say this, is identity is like a battlefield right now. When we begin to question who we really are, we find ourselves getting to this place where we start to wrestle with things like doubt, maybe wrestle with shame or insecurities. And then what happens is that we begin to get pressure upon us to either change the way we think we are or we try to become something that we never were meant to be or someone. 
The amazing truth is that God can use that pressure, and that's what God does. He'll use that pressure to instill in us this character, character that would be truly the mark of our identity, character that looks more like his son, Jesus, character that marks us as part of God's family. You know, in sociology, there's this concept called the looking glass self. The looking glass self explores the formation of our identity, formation such as how we view ourselves and how others view us and how that shapes our self-esteem and our self-image. You know, this looking glass self is, is this social psychological concept that states that a person senses its own, their own self and grows out of the society's interpersonal relationships and the perception of others. It has three components in this. One is this, is that we imagine how we appear to others. And then we imagine the judgment of that appearance. And then we develop our self and our self-identity through the judgment of others. I think this plays out all the time. I don't even think we know that we're actually doing this. From a very early age, we're starting to learn about ourselves by how other people see us. We're receiving these messages. See, what, this, what, these, uh, um, st- what the study shows is that, is that people get this sense of who they are by their relationships with other people. In other words, how I view myself is not based on what I think about myself, but rather on what I think the most important people in my life or the most important person in my life thinks about me. That's why parenthood is so important. That's why raise them up, because our kids are learning who they are through the way we treat them and the way our relationship is with them. And I want to invite you today to allow yourself to think about how did you find your identity? How, what shaped your identity? Because I believe that God today wants to reveal something to you about your identity, your true identity And I think that when we're discovering that, we should go to the source. We should go to the creator of our soul. See, when I think about this looking glass philosophy, I can imagine that God made it so clear throughout his words on why he wanted to be the most important person in our lives. You know, when God gave the Ten Commandments, the very first one that he told the Israelites was that you should have no other God, that I got to sit on the top spot Jesus reiterated that when he talked about what is the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Why is that? Because God knows that if you put him as the most important thing, then you would design and discover your identity based on what he thinks and what he says. That you would see your identity through his eyes and not through the world. See, when God is not in this position in your life, you're going to look outside. You're going to look for this. And there's so many people right now that are searching this from all different places, and many of them are unhealthy and have done more damage than good. Man, I want to get real with all the men this morning because I I just understand this so well. Anytime I go into a group setting with a bunch of men, let's be real, we are all plagued with some insecurity, aren't we? You know, we, we want to look strong when we don't feel it. We, we don't want to look as a failure. We don't want people to see us as a failure. So we're afraid to show people that at times we mess up. At times we fail. At times we don't always bat a thousand. We don't like to see that. We don't like to show that. We don't like people to, to, to see that in our, in our lives. We also like to compete with one another. We always want to know where we rank. You know, we always walk into rooms or talk, have conversations with other men, and we're always trying to, in our minds, secretly be wondering, where do we rank in this room? I'm being real. Guys, we're so insecure. Ultimately, what we really want is to be accepted. Unfortunately, we are operating in insecurity. And insecurity, my friends, comes out of lack of identity. You know, we can tend to get this impression that, that insecurity is only a struggle for young people. But, you know, what I'm telling you, the longer that I live, I realize that there is many people of all ages that struggle with insecurity and they carry it for the long time of their life. Here's why we need to be secure in our identity. Why this is so important to me today. Because identity shapes your destiny. Identity begins with our minds. Again, listen to what I said. We think about ourselves and how, and we influence by what other people or the most important person thinks about us. That starts with our minds. We're thinking about what other people think. Who's the most important person in our life? And we, and we shape our identity based on what they think. So that tells me that the battle is in the mind, not always in how we feel, but it starts in the mind. That's why in the book of Romans, he talks about this battle within us. Romans 12 
Starting in verse 2, he says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. In other words, he said, don't follow the value systems of the world or the patterns of the world. He said, instead, in other words, don't get your identity in the world, but instead, let God transform you. I love the way it says this, into a new person. How? How does God transform us? Where does it begin? By changing the way you think about yourself and about God. Then, and only then, will you learn to know what God's will is for you, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, identity shapes your destiny. See, if I know who I am, and if I'm secure with who I am, then I will know what to do. People often have this tendency to to flip it, and, and they try to do things to prove who they are to prove to other people who they are. But God's way is opposite of that. We do what we do because of who we are. Think about this question for a moment. When you're thinking about identity or how you look at other people and and, and maybe label people, do you define yourself or do you define other people based on their occupation or how this person or how you vote (laughs) or maybe what somebody's passionate about or, or maybe where somebody lives or maybe their level of education? Do you base identity on those things? Do you find yourself shaping your identity based on those things? Because we got to be careful, friends. Because if we start to go through life that way, and we start to shape our identity with those trivial and secondary things, we are going to be in a lot of hurt. We're going to be in a lot of disappointment because those things change. See, there's a difference between having your primary identity and having a secondary identity. Let me explain. In other words, here's this. Those things that we are interested in, the things that we have background in, the things that we're from, those are part of us. Yes, they are. They're part of our identity. They, They help shape and influence us. The roles that we play in life, even from where you come from, like people, they know when they spend some time with me, they know that I'm a, I'm a Bay Area kid, that I come from, the, from Cali, and they, they kind of pick that up. That's secondary. But these aspects in our life, they can't be shaped fully for who we are. There's something deeper inside of us. They're not the core of our identity. Why? Because if we stripped all those things away, what would you have left? Better yet, who would you be? You know, this is very terrifying for many people today who have spent most of their lives trying to pursue these things and accomplish these steps to suddenly realize that if all those things are gone, who are they really? I I run into people all the time that have these crises in their lives where all these things are taken away, stripped away, and they're just like, who really am I? I know lots of pastors that as soon as they step out of ministry and they, they put their identity in just being a pastor, they don't know how to really act as a child of God they lose themselves in those places. They've defined themselves on the role that they play and not who God says that they are. Today, I'm here to remind you this eternal truth that men and women, men and women, your identity is given to you and spoken to you and over you by your creator. We see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? You know, at the very beginning of his ministry, Before any sermon was preached, before any miracle was done, Jesus gets baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. You remember that story? It's in Luke chapter 3. There's also a couple other places in Scripture. But but he gets out of the water. And the Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven called out and said this, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Let me tell you, this was an audible voice from God in that moment that God the Father was proclaiming publicly how he felt and what he thought about God the Son. It was not based on what he did. It was not based on what other people thought about him. It was based on the fact that he was his son. It was based on the fact that there was a relationship there. Let me tell you, friends, the good news this morning is that as a believer, we are united with Christ. And we receive that same standing with God the Father today. He loves us and he is well pleased with us. I know for some of you, you've never heard that from anybody before, especially somebody with authority, especially somebody that you look up to. But I'm here to tell you today that in in Christ, that is where you stand, that God loves you and that he is proud of you, that he is well pleased with you. 
I mean, for some of us, that's a major breakthrough. And it's not because of what you have done or what you do, but it's in who you are. Here's the thing about our new identity in Christ as sons and daughters of God. This is what scripture says. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, crying, Daddy. We have that access to him in that relationship with him. Galatians 3.26 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 6.18 says this, And I, this is God saying this, He says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. See, our identity does not come from our works or our accomplishments. No, our identity that God has from you is, is a design from him. He's in, he has intentions behind it. Our identity comes from the Father's heart and for his purposes for us. That's good news, friends. That's why this is so important, because all the decisions that a person makes in their life is what is, comes from this place deep inside of, of, of them to believe who they truly believe about themselves. Parents, we spend a lot of time trying to instill this in our kids, and oftentimes we miss it for ourselves. Now, I'll tell you this, that this idea, this concept, this this learning, this new identity, walking in this new identity, let me tell you, it comes with a tension inside us. There is a tension in this whole thing. Why? Because on this side of eternity, we all live with this tension inside of us between who we were and who we are becoming. That's just... A fact, that's just our existence right now on this earth. See, we are new in Christ. We are a new creation. Everything is new. We have a new identity. The day that we surrendered our lives to Jesus, we have become brand new. And when that happens, the old is gone and the new is here. Yes, I believe that with all my heart. But this is what I want to help us with today. I want to remind you about this new identity in Christ, one that was given to us by our Heavenly Father. I want to tell you this thing. That does not change. It will never change. The good news is that we don't have to work on this uh, for ourselves. We just have to learn to walk in it. But the fact of the matter is that we struggle with this. We struggle with letting go of the new or the old and living in the new from time to time. The good news is that we're not alone in this struggle. In fact, one of the heroes of our faith, one of the guys in the Bible that we read a lot about, he struggled with this just as like we do. The great apostle Paul, the great missionary, the great evangelist, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You know, Paul found himself in the middle of this struggle between what he called the old identity and the new identity. The old nature and the new nature. And he didn't. He, he, he struggled with it and he wrote about it. But I want to tell you, do you know that the Holy Spirit's long, lifelong process in our lives is to transform us into the best version of ourselves, which is to look more like Christ. And the enemy, let me tell you, he, has, he wants nothing more than to disrupt and to dismantle the process and the progress in that by walking out this new identity in Christ. He wants to distract us and he wants to confuse us. He does not want us to discover or to declare that we are children of God. And the way he distracts us is by applying pressure on our lives in our most weakest and most vulnerable areas of our lives. And he tries to get us to believe that it's in those moments that we are defined by, that it's that that we find our identity in, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Listen to how Paul writes this and how he states this. This is in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He talks about this struggle. Listen to what he says. He says, I do not understand what I do. Yeah, (laughs) I understand. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Does that sound familiar of that internal struggle? Now, let's remember that this is the Apostle Paul towards the end of his life. This is not young, upstart Paul who just started ministry. No, no. He's planted dozens of churches by now. He's traveled thousands of miles. He suffered for the gospel. He was part of many miracles and healings. In other words, he was seasoned in his walk with God. He knew the grace of God very well, yet he still finds himself struggling with this tension in his life. He describes this battle within us, which I call the battle for identity. As there's a struggle inside of us between what he calls the flesh, this old nature, this fallen nature, 
and the new nature, which is controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is the identity conversation. We often find ourselves feeling like we are the only person that wrestles with this stuff about the old and the new. You know, you start to think, everybody else seems to have this figured out except for me. You know, I'm the only one that wrestles with these old thought patterns and these old habits and, and, and struggling with this old identity that I'm trying to shake off and learn the new. And the enemy, he loves to, to, to put us in that spot. And he jumps and pounces in that space and he puts pressure on us and he puts these things in our minds and says that if you really love Jesus, then why are you still struggling with this? And you could fill in the blank. You know, the enemy, what he likes to do is he likes to use scripture against us, doesn't he? I mean, he had the audacity to even try to do that with Jesus. And you see how Jesus combated him, and it was through the Word. That's why we need to understand the Word of God. That's why the scriptures that I'm giving you today, you need to jot down, take note of, because when the enemy comes, you got to fight him with scripture. you got to give him the truth as he tries to twist things, but we have to have a sound mind in what the truth really says about who we are. Scripture tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says that if anyone who belongs in Christ Jesus, they become a new person. I mean, we love that. It says the old is gone and the new is here. Let me tell you, that is the greatest news I've ever heard. That is such the truth. That is, that is something we all praise God about and say amen. That we've all been given this new life, this new heart, this new start, this new, na- this new nature, and this new identity. We're born again. But Satan will take that scripture and he will twist it. And he'll get us to question our new identity with questions like, well, if you were really saved, then why are you still struggling with these old things? If you were really saved, why do these old things creep up in your life? And that, my friends, is when we need to dig deeper into what Paul is saying here. Starting in verse 13. Remember, this is Paul towards the end of his life. And he writes these words. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I do, I do not. uh, What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. In other words, his flesh. But listen to what he says. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now he goes on a little further, explain more of this, but he ends with this. He says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. You know, that sounds like a hopeless situation that we all feel sometimes of going, we're wrestling with the old and trying to get into the new. And he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who? And then he answers it here. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I I like the way the message translates this because it's a little bit more clear here. He says, I'm tired. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by an influence of, by the sin to do something totally different. I'm so thankful for the Apostle Paul to get real in this scripture. I'm so thankful that he describes this tension so vividly between the old identity and the new. We see that he doesn't question who he is. He just struggles with what he does. He also is very clear about how to find victory in this battle. He says, who will rescue me? Who will come to help me? Who will give me strength and power to live out this new identity as a child of God? Maybe some of us are asking that same question, and he answers it this way. He says, I have a Father in heaven who comes to deliver me through the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, he understood this, and this is what you need to understand, is that as a child of God, you have full access to the grace of God and the power of God. You know, if me, being an earthly father, know how to resource my kids when they come to me and ask me to help them through something, trust me, I will be there. I'll be the first one to show up. But if me, as an earthly father, know how to respond to my kids in that manner, how much more will our perfect heavenly father respond to us with all of heaven resources to come and to help us through these biggest struggles in our lives, to remind us who we are in him, to bring back the core of our identity so that we can live out this new nature. This new 
this, this, this new identity as a child of God. Man, I hope that this message has already shown you that you're not alone in this battle and this struggle between the old and the new. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just human, and you live on this side of eternity. You know, once we go to heaven, that tension's going to go. That struggle's going to go away. I, I, I long for that day, but until then, we have to learn how to manage this tension in our lives and use it as leverage to get closer to God, to understand who he is and to understand and discover who we are. Remember, your identity is already set. You are a child of God. Learn to live your life from that truth. You know, in our home, we say the same, like, you know, it's, it's the Lara's ways, but ultimately, we want our kids to say, this is God's way. That's ultimately what we want for our kids. Now, I have a couple of things that I'm going to close out with, some things, some practical things that, that when your identity in Christ becomes challenged, and trust me, it will, there will be a day where this will be challenged in your heart, but I want to give you some tools on how to combat it. Number one, you need to remember that the struggle, your struggle, does not define you. See, when you struggle, when we say we struggle and we have this identity issue of like, who, who really are we? And we wrestle with that. We start to believe these lies that I should be strong enough to not deal with this anymore, not wrestle with this. Or I, this should be something that's not in my life anymore. I should be over it by now. And we can get frustrated with certain things in our life because we keep rehearsing and we keep going back to the same old thing over and over and over again. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse to do nothing about it. What I am saying is that you need to learn to lean into the battle. You need to keep fighting, and you might have to fight all night if you have to. You know, I worry about people who say they don't struggle with anything. I think they're either lying or they're hypocrites or something, because we all struggle, right? We all have things in our old life, and our old patterns, and our old nature that try to creep up, and we wrestle with the old. In fact, what I say is that, is that rust, struggling and having this thing in you, that, that, that's a good sign because that means that you want to change. That means that you want victory. So stop letting the enemy intimidate you with that talk. You need to realize that you are in a fight and you need to get into the fight. You know, you're not going to win unless you get in the fight. And you need to fight for your family. You need to fight for your identity. Why? Because it shapes your destiny. So some of you guys need to stay in the fight. Some of you feel like, oh, i got to tap out. I can't do this anymore. Lean into the Holy Spirit's power. Some of us have stopped fighting, and we, talk, we, we use different language, don't we? We try to cover up how we feel and what we're doing about it. See, we say we're struggling with things, but really what we're doing is surrendering to things. We're giving in to the impulses that come in, but I'm telling you, you need to fight. You need to struggle. You need to wrestle with these things because God has given you the power to do this, to start living out this new identity. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, this is a promise of God that he will provide for us a way out. Listen to this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you cannot bear. But when you are tempted, listen to this, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Start wrestling with it. Get back into the fight. It's okay to struggle with it. Why? Because that tells me that the spirit man is holding its ground. Just like Paul's talking about. He's like, man, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this, but I'm, I'm learning to learn how to fight the good fight. I'm learning to, to grow and to develop this true identity as a child of God. Scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 1.8, it says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive our, ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Man, that's all where it starts for many of us is to realize that we're in a battle, realizing that there is something in our lives of the old that tries to creep up and we need to take authority over it and we need to remind ourselves that if I confess that to God, he can come and cleanse me and purify me and make me right again. So don't let the struggle define you. You are a child of God, which means that you have the spirit of God living inside of you. And in that, he's going to help you live out this new identity. And number two is this, is that remember your identity was spoken over you by your heavenly father. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You know, part of God's redemption plan for us is to discover what that purpose is. You know, it all begins with understanding this, who you are, your identity. Remember, your identity shapes your destiny. Ephesians chapter one, it is very clear here. It says, all praise to God 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Listen to this. It says, even before he made the world, even before he made the foundations of the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Wow. God planned for us. God prepared for us. God loved you and chose you. Your identity needs to be based on what your heavenly father sees in you and what he says about you and what he thinks about you. See, when you're tempted to, to doubt this identity, you need to cling on to scriptures like this in Ephesians chapter 1. You need to let it be an anchor for your soul. One is this, is that you're loved unconditionally, that you are chosen and not rejected. I mean, some of us, we feel rejected by many people in our lives, people that were important to us, and we feel rejected, but this scripture tells us that we can anchor ourselves and know that we are chosen by God. And we are holy even when we don't feel like it. And that we are without fault in his eyes because we are united with Christ, the Son. Listen, it gets even better. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and this is what gave him great pleasure. Verse 11, it says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. In other words, he's saying this, is that we are the children of God, whom he loves, whom he is well pleased with. You know, maybe you lacked hearing that from your earthly dad. You know, maybe maybe that's something that you've never received from anyone. But guess what? You have a heavenly father in heaven that says this over you, that he loves you, and that we have this identity of being a child of God. That has to be our primary identity. You know, we, we, we can look and we can try to find our identity in other places, but, but it's always going to come up short. We're always going to find a lack in it, but we need to be secure in the fact that we are God's children and that we are forgiven and blameless even when we don't feel it because the truth of the matter is, is that that's how God sees us when we are connected and united with his son, Jesus. That's when faith comes in. That's when you got to really step up in your faith and believe, even if you don't feel, but you believe the truth. You trust what he says. You trust him at his word. He's a good father. God has given us everything that we need to demolish the strongholds and the false beliefs, and he empowers us to do so. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says this, is that for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. Destroy strongholds. Some of us are caught up in these strongholds of our minds about how we see ourselves, what we think other people see in us. But we have to trust that we can break that through the Spirit of God, through what He's given us, through His Word, through what He's proclaimed over us. And it says this, so we can destroy arguments and every lawfully opinion raised against the knowledge of God that He's given us through His Word. And we could take every thought captive into obedience to Christ. The lies that you've heard about yourself, you need, to, you need to submit those and you need to hold them captive to Christ and what he says about you and what God's declared over you. See, if we live out of our identity based on how God sees us, we no longer feel the need to find our worth in our external circumstances. It frees us up to live confidently and to live stable instead of changing who we are based on other people's opinions, based by our own standards, based based on all the things that we think we need to be, but really just become who God's called us to be. That we find significance, calling, acceptance, and love. It gives us the opportunity to experience God in such a new and fresh way. And some of us, we've been longing for that. For too long, we've just seen God as just this authority figure hanging over our lives, ready to zap us when we've done wrong. But I'm telling you, we serve a true living God who's a loving, good Father, who has rescued us, who's given us the best for us, and that's Jesus Christ, His Son. That if He's given us Christ, and He's given us all, everything that we need follow him, to be connected to him, to be, to be what we're meant to be. And this is certainly a battle that we all have to, 
learn how to fight well, to hold on to the truth of what God says. You know, I know when I look at my kids, I, I, I see a lot of myself in them, and it, it makes me proud, it brings me joy. You know, I, I look in the mirror and I can see the resemblance. I, 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 look at, I look at their lives and I see the personality and I said, yeah, that they got that from me or they got that from my mom. I'm telling you, I want to look in the mirror and I want to see the Father's heart through there. I want to look at my life and say, man, I'm just like my daddy. I'm so much like God. I want to be more like God. I want that same desire as a child of God to want to resemble my Father in heaven to the world. And I want that to be the impact. I want that to be the legacy. I want that to be the way that I live my life. It's not just trying to prove that, but I want to live that. I want that to be the marker of my heart, the marker of my life. So the truth today is that you have a Father in heaven, that you are a child of God. You need to hold on to that identity. Don't let the struggle define you. Listen to what God said and proclaimed over you and walk that out, live that out. This is my final thought to leave you with today. How would believing the truth about your new identity in Christ change the way you live? How would it change the way you live? Let's pray. We're going to take a moment to pray right now. Maybe some of us, we haven't even got this relationship started yet. And I want to invite you that all it takes through Christ that we could have access to this relationship, to this Abba Father relationship with God, the magnificent creator of heaven and earth who desperately loves you, wants to save you and rescue you and deliver you from all the things that this earth has done to hurt you and to bring you down, and he wants to rescue and lift you up. So if that's you today, you want to accept that it's just through Christ Jesus alone, and you just got to come, and you got to accept Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, and you got to surrender your life to say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to know what that means. I'm going to follow everything that you have said through your word, and I'm going to find a church, and hopefully this is the church that you connect with that will help you walk that out, show you practically how that is played out. Maybe for the rest of us, we're feeling heavy in our hearts because we've struggled and we've struggled with this, this topic right now about identity. And we feel lost and yet today it's been recovered. Today you've been reminded. And today you want to step forward and live this out fully. So let me pray for you as well. Father, I lift up anyone watching today, God, that is, Lord God, has just grabbed a hold of something today, God, something that just encourage them, give them hope, because that's what your word does. Lord, I pray that they respond right now by saying yes and amen to whatever that is, God, in a personal way right now. But also knowing, God, that corporately, God, we want to be good kids that reflect the heart of a good father. And God, I pray that you help us to live that out in our lives. Let us know that we don't have to wrestle with all the things of what other people think, but we can just truly just be content and understand who we are and how you love us so much. And we don't have to prove that to anyone, but we just live it out in our lives and people will see. And that's where true light will shine through us. And people would see, God, that there is a good Father in heaven. They would glorify you by being connected to, to seeing what's happening here among your church, God, your children. We love you, God. Help us to honor you and reflect your love in the way that you show us. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful Father's Day. Have a great weekend. We're so excited that next week we get to begin opening up our building and having these gatherings. We know that's going to continue to increase in the next few months. God bless you. We love you. We miss you. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. services. We are so excited that next week we will officially be able to meet in person here on campus at Grace Church. Make sure you check your inbox this week as well as Facebook for updates and all the ways that you'll be able to register to let us know you're coming. We want to be prepared for every person that we have here. We are so excited for what's coming up for Grace Church. Happy Father's Day dads. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon.